Welcome to the podcast series of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration through Languages and the Arts. We bring you sounds to engage with you and invite you to think with us. Hi, I'm Martha Orbach. I'm an artist and I make work about home, migration and our relationship with our environment. This episode is called To Build a Home and is drawn from a session at the UNESCO Ryla Spring School, The Arts of Integrating 2021. It was a virtual event around the theme of May Day, hour-long workshops on day two and three. To Build a Home is a body of work which I'm developing, which is concerned with homemaking and domesticity amidst the pandemic, climate and migration crises. How we piece together a home in these often overwhelming contexts. It draws on my environmentalist upbringing, eco-building, and is part of a series of conversations around what it takes to build a home. In this episode, you will hear snippets from both sessions. I hope you enjoy it. I was born in Bath, but we moved to Wales when I was six, and I'm now in Scotland. And I think I've always been quite aware that I'm not necessarily from where I am. (laughs) (laughs) and that my family is not and that I don't know it's the funny little details of celebrating Christmas on Christmas Eve maybe or liking to eat artichokes with vinaigrette that you just kind of realise that people in West Wales weren't really doing that (laughs) and uh, that kind of context is I think part of my interest around this homemaking session. I also grew up in West Wales with lots of radicals who were making homes out of straw, turf, old bus windows, all sorts of things, uh, mud. You'll you'll see very much that this is also a very large theme in the work that I've started to develop and also speaks very much to the theme around the climate crisis because These homes that I grew up around um, are very much responding to the climate crisis, but I'm living in a flat in Glasgow. (laughs) I have hot running water and all sorts of washing machines and things like that that I didn't have when I was growing up with. So I've made a whole bunch of choices which are not this, which I am internally trying to reconcile with myself around how I make a home, what the impact is of my homemaking what that means. So yeah, as I've been doing the research, I've been looking at various other types of homemaking, how different strategies that different other species use for making a home, magpies and their little decorative features that they add to their nests, weaver birds and there's beautiful collections at the Hunterian that I've been um, drawing and visiting. I'm also The coot is quite a touchstone for my thinking on these things because a lot of my experience of homemaking for myself is this incessant amount of stuff which has to be dealt with. The stuff arrives in packaging, the stuff arrives from the shops and trying to kind of organise it all, put it in the cupboards, put it away, organise it. And it's just, I don't know, I feel like the coot, the way that the coot makes its home amidst... (laughs) amidst this absolute cacophony in a way of objects and found found things is quite a touchstone for me for this because I suppose yeah I suppose I'm thinking about how 
I'm not living off the land. Somehow I have to make a home which incorporates all this junk, <laughs> which I am very much implicated in bringing into my house and into the world. So yeah, this is a selection of some of the things that I've been using to make these small scale assemblages and sculptures. Um, but this is quite, it could just be like what I found on the table in the morning. <laughs> like, I, I'm not very good at organising things. My flat is quite messy. I have a two-year-old. There seems to be incessant chaos. And so these kind of strange assemblages of bits and pieces of leftover games, masks, string, teething powder. This seems to be quite, yeah, quite a feature of my daily life. So I've started uh, making these small scale sculptures using things which are either in the house or are very easily accessible to me from the environment around me. I'm quite interested in the notion of invasive species and uh, some of these ones which we've invited into our country and now currently horrified by. So I've been using Japanese knotweed quite a lot, but otherwise kind of to-do lists and all the kind of processes that are involved with, with my attempts at homemaking. They're very much in development, they're quite small scale. And I suppose one of the things that they also re reflect is the kind of precarity and a kind of fragility around my experience of homemaking, this kind of, you're trying to put it all together, but then you've tidied it all up and then the next minute the whole thing is completely unraveled again and you're back at square one. A place for daily arrival. When I'm thinking of home, I'm from Germany and I grew up in a really small village with some 250 inhabitants and uh, for me now when I remember how it was when I was younger and what makes my home it is the smells and the odors that I had when I was young. I've just remembered when back home in the back I come from the Basque country and I just remember when I, I used to study in, in Bilbao in the city and then go home for the weekend to my mum's and my mum and on Saturday morning we're always I lived in a in, a, in the attic in an upstairs an upstairs room so she would make coffee and bring the pot so that the smell <laughs> came up and I would just because she, she'd be missing me through the week so she would just <laughs> wave the, the, the pot the coffee pot below my bedroom so I could smell it and so I would hurry so I would hurry down for me, it's sound. Waking up in the morning and hearing the cock crow and the sweeping of the yard, uh, the compound, and the singing of women sweeping, and the hustle and bustle of people waking up and attending to their daily chores, waking up kids, hearing people from the next compound yelling out, you hear buses passing and calling for passengers, all these things that reminds me of home. And, and in, in the context of this, I think it can be captured with images, like the one you just showed of the octopus trying to build a home, a bird's nest and, and other things.
just thinking about fabric and material and I'm sitting next to a rag rug I made because I think a lot for me is about wanting to hold on to fabric that other people have worn or that other people have used so you know my kids clothes and the things that my mom had on her and my mother-in-law you know and I suppose for me it's about how do you keep things in a way that's tender and intentional and not overwhelming like you say not not just so that there's stuff everywhere which is which is my um tendency as well being a bit nostalgic and I suppose for me it's about how to that process of trying to be tender but but intentional about what I've taken on from other people. Whilst there are things from you know my past and the kind of simple idea of home, the place, the household I was born into, that actually much of what my practice has been in terms of making a place that feels safe and also hospitable to me and others has been about all the things that have come into my life that others have been part of making with me. I think it's William Morris who said, have nothing in your home unless you know it to be useful or believe it to be beautiful. I think the thing that makes me feel at home maybe the most is the light. Like I think I could have a room that's full of junk and if it's lit nicely, I could feel good. And then I could have an empty room and if it's got nice light in it, I could still mm -hmm. feel good. Maybe just me being a visual person, but I've got loads of fairy lights, <laughs> got loads of windows, I move furniture so that I can bounce the light in different ways. And I think maybe it's just me seeking that comfort feeling, whether it's daylight or or, or fake light, kind of. Yeah, it's the light that I play with, I think. Yeah, and I really feel like that as well. It's that kind of um if I go into a room where the light is bad, I think that's for me the easiest way to explain how the strength of that feeling. Like if you go into a room where the light is bad, it feels impossible to be comfortable, I think for me at a certain point. And that kind of, yeah, I suppose the extreme end of like the broken strip light kind of feeling, which immediately kind of tells us about hazard. So when I'm, when I'm, alone at home and I feel sad because other sons have moved out I just take my mobile and I give them a video call and then they are back in my home and where they belong to so it's somehow it seems as if this belongs to a home like the neighbors and like the surroundings home I, I want to I want to think of it as a sense of anticipation if you are journeying and you are approaching your home. That is such a vivid and intense sense because you know the landmarks, you know that particular tree, there's a bend in the road, there's different things that just meet you. There's a way the grass is worn where people have walked, that kind of thing. So this is a very powerful part of things. And then in, in the homestead, of course, there are, because we are cohabiting with our neighbors, the trees, the the bump in the in the ground that we all used to trip over when we were kids, all those kind of things. So we are not just the the shelter we build, but the shelter that is all spread out around us. And um, where I live now, even if I move to Japan, I heard Japan being mentioned, or if I move to Kenya or Warwick, <laughs> I will um, I will call that Matsu in Dao language, but Kanye. 
You know, like the spelling for that musician, Kanye West. He doesn't know that he's got a powerful name, that guy. Running around. Anyway, in my dad's language, Kanye is the home where the umbilical cord is buried. Oh. At the entrance to the main space in Bayagu Tandara. So everyone's umbilical cord is buried there at the entrance. And so that is your rootical home, which is called Kanye. So when I'm in Harare and I'm speaking to people of my peers, they will say, oh, Tamona, where is your home? And I will say, I'll speak of my matzo. But if I'm speaking to an elder, I need to understand the language and the poetry. Then I speak of Kanye, where the umbilical cords are all buried in the ground. So I'll leave it there for now, but you can see it's a big... <laughs> That's beautiful. There's so much there that, yeah, I would like to continue asking about. (laughs) Um, But that, yeah, there's an interesting notion. I don't know if anyone's come across Hiraith. There's an interesting Welsh notion which differentiates a home. Well, there's I guess there's a bit more sadness in the Welsh one because it's a it's a it's a lost home or it's the home that you cannot necessarily return to. But it's that sense of an original home. It's quite, it's quite complicated. It's not necessarily the physical space where you inhabit, but the people and connections within it that create whatever home you feel is there. For a really long time, I also kind of operated like that. I really felt like I lived in a lot of places moved in a lot of places but to go home was to go home and that was that was a certain place but there's been something something in me I suppose has shifted since becoming a mum and I now feel like this has to be home <laughs> so I've got to work out how to make it home <laughs> how do I do that thing which ch- changes a place into a home <laughs> a proper one <laughs> what happens if back home is no longer there and you can't return what happens when back home is not a safe space, so it doesn't trigger all this shelter and safety that we had been thinking about in this conversation. The Welsh notion of hereith is quite interesting in that sort of context, because part of that notion, I think, does kind of deal with that distance. Part of what's wrapped up in that word is this sense of distance and maybe not being able to go there but still longing for it. And the fact that it's still such an important place, even though you couldn't visit it tomorrow. And I think I, I also feel that as things changes, and I, I haven't lived in Wales for a long time, you know, even though it's definitely safe to go there, you know, some of the people and some of the things, the land is still there, but some of the other things that make the home are no longer there. And so there's shifts, isn't there? It all kind of shifts. I'm just thinking a lot of the work of Tim Ingold, the anthropologist, who's been a huge influence on my work, but it's a phrase of his that he draws from um, Martin Heidegger, the philosopher. So Martin Heidegger has this deep uh, reflection on the word bauen in German, which means, which is often translated as to build, but it also comes from the word bauernhof, which is, you know, the kind of farming of the land or the tilling of the land. And and he, he says, if we would build, we must already dwell. And I'm really thinking about the verbs here rather than the noun. So what are the practices of homing that are about not so much building the structures, 
but actually making a dwelling and a place to dwell. And I'm wanting to kind of bring the words of my PhD student, Picky Diamond, who's in Aotearoa, New Zealand. She's Māori herself and a, a Pacifica migrant too in her heritage. And she's been working with um, the postgraduate group. There's about 25 of us who meet together to get us to think about our pepeha, so how we greet people uh, in a way that tells where we're from, where we would name the mountain, the river, the canoe, the place and the ancestry that we're from, so that we say what our heritage is and also where it is we're dwelling at this moment and where we've dwelt in the past. And she's just guided us through a really powerful set of meditations recently and work to to excavate some of that. And the very strong thing there, and it links also to German philosophy, to the work of Martin Buber, where he talks about I, thou, ich und du, and um, speaks about what it means to actually speak to more, the more than human world as if it is living with you. So if I said my Pepeha, I would say, I would address the mountains that I see through my window, the Campsie Fells, as if they are people. Um, so um, they, are, they are personified, or the river as a living organism rather than an object. And I think there's something in what we're discussing here or what I'm hearing is the kind of aliveness of home or the making alive of a home. So it dwells as opposed to the kind of bricks and mortar of a structure which are important for shelter and basic human need, but they're not the same as dwelling. So I was just thinking that as we were, yeah, if we would build, we must already dwell. I have these four women. I'll lift them one at a time. So my mom got these made from me out of um, maize leaves. Maize is an interesting thing in Zimbabwe. It is not an indigenous um, crop, but it is now the, the sort of the staple food. But these are, so uh, uh, our farming people, this is what they make uh, in the country. They, they grow maize. And so some people are making things out of something that is usually just discarded and so uh, this is the first woman, she is carrying firewood. So the hearth and the second woman is carrying firewood, but not only firewood, a baby on the back as well. She's carrying it on her head. This woman is pounding grain, which is a, a daily activity of making home. You pound the grain to cook it later in the day. So there's a song that's sung as well when you're pounding the grain. And then this last woman has been in her field or has been foraging. She's got some items in her basket and they're all carrying a, a child at the back. So these are my four guardians of knowledge. When I'm making these little assemblages and structures, I'm kind of interested in how we mix up the emotional, the ethereal, the psychological into, into the physical, I suppose, in the processes of making a home. And so, yeah, when I've been looking at how to actually create the structures that I've been making, yeah, I've been drawing on various different different models which I think they're basic shapes really the basic geometry of kind of how we make a home you've got the classic triangle used 
also in Scotland. Beautiful circles, amazing weaving. And this idea coming back to the coot and the using whatever you can find in your environment, that's been a huge part of how I've gone about constructing these. And then I've been looking at ideas around like how the kind of interaction between the wild and the domestic. And so my assorted tester pots and the raw wood, for example, kintsugiing back together various fragments, unredeemable fragments of broken things in my house, which have gone so far beyond the point of no return that they become something entirely different. Maybe part of a wall, possibly. And also I've been experimenting with trying to make bricks out of my to-do lists. So you'll kind of see that these are all sort of various experiments with how, yeah, actually touching on maybe what Rachel was saying about the rag rug, how things become transformed or transmuted into something else. Um, as we, in the processes that we use to make a home and also how the kind of emotional and daily repetitive labor of homemaking relates to the structures. So I've been thinking a lot about, you know, the to-do lists as structure, the cooking of the, in the incessant preparing of meals as structure, you know, all these kind of structures that underpin our homemaking. And then um, Tawona was speaking about the hearth. I miss having a fire a lot. And I was, so the kitchen table for me, I suppose is part of the part of a structure which is slightly fulfills that kind of function, that kind of central place where things happen. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you'd like to get in touch with me about this project, you can email hello at marthaorbach.co.uk. Or if you look up Martha Orbach, you can find me on various socials and things like that. Uh, be great to hear from you. And the next episode will be released on 16th of August. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration Through Languages and Arts. A podcast series to make you think. More information about work can be found on the website of the University of Glasgow, www.gla.ac.uk. Thank you very much.